the evidence of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Apostolic succession paved the way to preserve the New Testament text. Welcome to another episode of Facts. I am your host, Stephen Boyce. Today we're doing a Christmas special. It is Christmas morning, so Merry Christmas to all my viewers. If you're listening to this after Christmas, I trust and hope and pray that many of you had an exciting time, a time of rejoicing, a time of reflection, a time of family, a time of fun, and maybe even ate really well. It ate some good meals and good food and, and just friendship and love being passed around with gifts and conversations and meal and football and all the things that come with Christmas. I trust and pray that you had a wonderful Christmas. And those that are listening on Christmas Day, I trust you are having and will continue to have a blessed Merry Christmas. Today on this special episode, I want to cover the Church Fathers and the Incarnation. So I called the episode a Church Father Christmas Medley. Now, I don't typically bounce around uh, when I go through the fathers. I want to take my time like we're doing with the current series on Ignatius of Antioch that Tyler and I are doing together. But today I am going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to look at different individuals that are a part of the discussion when it relates to the virgin birth and the incarnation, God becoming a man, because that's what this is all about, the advent. And most of us celebrate Advent just went through the reflection and the thinking on the time that it is with Jesus and his first coming and how we, we, we look back at it and say, oh no, this should give us hope for his second coming because the promises were made that he would come, that the Messiah would bring hope and life and salvation and deliverance. And because of that, through Advent, we've actually been celebrating his second coming, his second Advent, in light of the first Advent. But now that Christmas is here, we reflect on his first coming as we have prepared our hearts for his second coming. And that's what Advent is all about. And we rejoice that God became a man because that's what this is all about. Why else would we celebrate a day like this even though, and, and not to get into this deep well, we know that Jesus was likely not born on December 25th. Some say it would have been the earliest parts of January. Others, like myself, would say it was during the feast of the fall, the, the autumn feasts. But regardless of his when, it's the fact that he was born. He did come to earth. God did become a man, one of his creatures that he created in his imago Dei, the image bearing of himself. It is this cause that we celebrate the greatest entrance into creation, the creator becoming a person, a man, living, breathing, eating, drinking, sleeping, crying, 
dying so that we, his fallen creation, can be restored back to himself. There is no greater story. There is no greater narrative that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. See, that, that is it. We are in a divine time because in the fullness of time, all the sin that piled up before, the lineages, the timing of the Davidic line going back to the Abrahamic line, back to the Edenic, uh, to the Edenic stage with Adam and his line, all of these things had to have perfectly lined up so that in the fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, God sent forth his son. And as a result of that, we today have celebrated his incarnation with the hope of his second appearing, not as a child, not as a person that's going to come to serve as he did in his first advent, but as a king, not in a manger, on a white stallion, not to come and <clears throat> live amongst a carpenter and to do simpleton work, but to sit on a throne of his father, David. That's what we're awaiting. A new heaven and a new earth. And a judge to rule right and wrong where this world has clouded right and wrong. To call good, good, and evil, evil, whereas we have confused good with evil and evil with good. To separate the light from darkness where we have called light dark and dark light. He is going to, to come and judge the living and the dead. And to give reward to every man and woman according to their deeds. Whether that be good or evil. Some to everlasting life some to everlasting darkness. Folks, this is what it's all about, the incarnation. He came the first time to save men and women from their sins. He will come the second time to save his creation from the corruption of men and women's sin. So when we dive into this beautiful day of redemption that we think of, of God becoming a man. It never ended in the manger. It ended on a cross. And more importantly, it ended with an empty tomb. But things needed to happen before God went to the person, through the person of Christ, die on a cross and resurrect from the dead. He, he must have incorporated within his own existence feelings that he could not feel in the state of God on the throne eternally in the heavens. He needed to experience things that we experience so that he could take the place of sinners, be the sin bearer, and become the sympathetic high priest that we love from Hebrews. He must have conquered sin by death and resurrection, but also by obedience. A life 
that followed the law perfectly where we could not. A life that could feel pain so that he could sympathize with our pain. A life that experienced temptation so that he might help us succeed through temptation. Irenaeus of Lyon says this, God recapitulated in himself an ancient formation of man that he might kill sin, deprive death of its power, and vivify man. See, what Irenaeus understands is that Christ's incarnation was more than just a, a really good story to celebrate, but rather that he might come to be a man so that he can kill sin, put it to death, <clears throat> deprive its power to take away its sting. That's where Paul came in and said, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus. I love the words of Augustine of Hippo. He says, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired of its journey. Think, think about what Augustine is saying here. He's drawing the implications of Jesus' incarnation and what it meant for him to be a man. The one who made man became man. The one who ruled the stars is now dependent on his mother's milk for life. The bread of heaven became hungry for bread. The fountain of living waters said, I thirst. The light of the world slept with his eyes closed in a state of darkness. The way in John 14, the, the way had to journey down paths and become tired. He leaned up against the well in John 4 because he was tired from his journey and thirsty. That the truth might be accused of false witness. He is the way and the truth. Yet he was accused of wrong. The teacher was beaten with whips. The foundation suspended on wood. The foundation that was unmovable, the foundation on which the church is built, it is unmovable because he's a rock, yet for a time he became a foundation of wood. That strength might grow weak. He was weak, tired, that the healer might be wounded. This is by his stripes, we are healed. The healer healed us by his stripes. That life, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that the life might die. So that we would not, it's the great exchange. He gave us his life in exchange for our death. This is Augustine of Hippo and the understanding of the incarnation. 
John Chrysostom said, this day he who is is born and he who is becomes what he was not. He was born to be something he had never been before. Something new happened. He became what he was not. God is a spirit, but yet he became a man forevermore to remain through Christ. A physical body he will forever maintain. Athanasius of Alexandria said, thus it happened that two opposite marvels took place at once. The death of all was consummated in the Lord's body. Yet, because the logos, the word, was in it, death and corruption were in the same act utterly abolished. Athanasius understood that the logos becoming flesh, John 1, took on death and corruption and abolished it in his own death. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Gregory of Nazianzen said, he measures all by comparison with his own suffering so that he may know our condition by his own and how much is demanded of us and how much we yield. I, I would venture to say that Gregory is thinking through Hebrews here. The sympathetic high priest that he would experience what we experience so that when we fail, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy in time of need. Cyril of Jerusalem, not to be confused with Cyril of Alexandria. He says, teacher of children became himself a child among children that he might instruct the unwise. The bread of heaven came down to earth to feed the hungry. Christ became a child amongst children who was the teacher of children. He was the bread that fed the children of Israel, yet he gave himself to us, bread of heaven coming to earth to feed the hungry souls. It's incredible when we think about the beauty of the incarnation and that he was coming to suffer in our place to feed us spiritual food that we could not get from earth, from physical bread on earth. We needed living water. We needed living heavenly bread. Justin Martyr said, for next to God, we worship and love the Logos, who is from the unbegotten. Now think about that. What he is saying is that when you look at God, he has no beginning. So the Logos, though he was begotten, in himself, he was never truly beginning. And we're going to talk about that quote a little bit more because I'm actually going to go to another section to, to highlight the same thing from Mathetes in his letter to Diognetus. But he says, the word who is from the unbegotten 
and the indescribable God, since also he became man for our sakes, that becoming a partaker of our sufferings, he might also bring us his healing. So here's, here's another place. So the indescribable, unbegotten God sent his son, the Logos, to be begotten. So that he could experience the human frailty and give us the energy and life we need and the healing we need to persevere and to experience the new life. John of Damascus said these words, God the Logos, the word, was made man for this reason, that the very nature which had sinned, fallen, and become corrupt, conquer the tyrant who had deceived him. What John of Damascus is saying is that he became all of these things to teach us victory, conquering. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's beautiful. Ephraim the Syrian said, this Lord of nature today was transformed contrary to his nature. It is not too difficult for us to also overthrow our evil will. Christ became a man. That's what they're all saying here. That's what they're all getting at. Christ became one of us so that we might experience the beauty, the majesty of what it means to know God, know his love, know his forgiveness, and yet beat death, beat sin, not because of our own righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy and his goodness and his righteousness. It's not a message of man now can be better because man is better. It is man can be better because Christ is the better savior. Christ is the better human. Christ was the better Messiah. Christ was the better life. Christ was the better obedient and better law keeper, where we were failures and broke the law. This is the magnificence of what it means to be a part of the story and the narrative of the incarnation. In the epistle to Diognetus by Mathetes that I referenced a few seconds ago, he said this, for which reason he, being God, sent the Logos, the word, that he might be manifested to the world. And he, being despised by his own people, when preached by the apostles, was believed on by Gentiles. Thank the Lord, that's us. And it was also in his day. This is he who is from the beginning, who appeared as if he was new and yet was found old, yet who is ever born afresh in the hearts of the saints. This is he who being from everlasting is called today the son through whom the church is enriched and grace widely spread increases in the saints, furnishing understandings, revealing mysteries, announcing times, rejoicing over the faithful, giving to those that seek, 
to whom the limits of faith are not broken through, nor the boundaries set by the fathers passed over. What is Mathit saying here? He's saying that even though he is from the beginning, John 1, Genesis 1, he came as if he was new, but he wasn't. Even though he was found actually ancient. And yet he bears himself new every time someone comes to him in faith. They are birth new in the heart. This is the one who is from everlasting, yet he is called today the Son. Folks, don't tell me that the early church did not believe in the deity of Christ, that it was God becoming a man. Most of these quotations I've given to you were before Nicaea. No council picked this. Nobody came along and said, oh, let's create a doctrine. This was the practice and belief of the church from day one. This is what it looked like to be in the early church. They believed with all their heart that God became a man and they experienced the evidence of it in his incarnation and ultimately in his resurrection. Hear the words of Ignatius of Antioch, the end of the first century going into the second. Be deaf then to any talk that ignores Jesus Christ of David's lineage. There's the physical bloodline. Of Mary, there's the physical birth. Who was really born, ate, drank, was really persecuted under Pontius Pilate, was really crucified and died in the sight of heaven and earth and the underworld. He was really raised from the dead, for his father raised him just as his father will raise us who believe on him through Christ Jesus, apart from whom we have no genuine life. He believed that God truly became a man through the lineage of David, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Who will also raise us from the dead. This is credo language. And I hope that you take time. And I hope if you listen to this after Christmas that you will take time, even though it might be December 26th or 27th or so forth, after you've listened to this, that you take time today with your wife, your children, your family, your friends, those that you are with, saved or unsaved. Folks, I plead with you, take a moment with your families sitting in your kitchen or at your living room or around the tree or around the gifts and take a moment to read scripture, read John 1, read Luke 2, read Matthew 1, read Paul, and take a moment Folks, read Hebrews 6. Read Hebrews 8. Read Hebrews 4. Talk about what Jesus did, why he came, his function as a high priest, 
as a sympathetic high priest, as one who came and loved us. Take time to speak today, or if you miss it later, gather your family back around and say, you know what? I want to take a moment to reflect on the incarnation where God became a man, walked on this planet, felt pain we feel, felt betrayal we feel, knows what it's like to be hungry, knows what it's like to be thirsty, knows what it's like to shed tears, knows what it likes to feel abandoned, knows what it feels like to be tempted, knows what it feels like to pass out, knows what it feels like to be exhausted, knows what it feels like to sit in the dark, knows what it feels like to sweat, knows what it feels like to labor, knows what it feels like to experience curse. Knows what it feels like to have to be dependent. Knows what it feels like to say, not my will, not my will, but nevertheless, your will. I will do it. I will do it. I don't feel it. I don't want it, but I'll do it out of obedience. You see, that's, <clears throat> that's what the incarnation really is. It's not a story that ends in a manger. It's a story that goes through temptation, pain, loss, death, brokenness, but ends in victory, life, healing, obedience, righteousness, <clears throat> resurrection, restoration, relationship. Seated he is. Currently, presently, at the right hand of God the Father, who sits in the heavens, interceding for us. Waits for us to come to him and repentance and confession and forgives us in righteousness, in sympathy. Take time, folks. I, I, I beg you, take time to reflect and celebrate the very thing that br brings us the day of Christmas. And then after the reflection on his first coming, pause and speak of his second, that in the same body that was resurrected from the dead, he will come again to judge the living and the dead to resurrect from the dust of the earth all those that are evil and righteous. He will bring the curse to its end on this earth. He will bring it to its finality and create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will forever, to those who know Christ, experience Wholeness, redemption, life without tears, life without pain, life without death and sorrow and loss and separation. But that we would forever remain in one body through Jesus Christ, 
holy, brought into his kingdom now and forever. But folks, we can experience a piece of Eden today. If you know God through Jesus, by the anointing of the Spirit, you have within you the light of life. Life and light are in us. We can experience joy, love, peace, happiness, forgiveness, and grace so that we can celebrate this day not in wishful thinking, but in trueness of faith and hope that we are brought to the cross and given and forgiven by his, by his love and his mercy and his blood so that we can forgive others and love others and share grace with our realm of influence. Be a community of grace today with the people around you. Show the love of Jesus that came through his incarnation. And we look at these church fathers, we look at the patristics. And what do we see? These are people of hope. People who know what they believe. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which is committed to him against that day. This is what Paul was confident in whom he believed. Are you? Folks, this is, this is the wonderful time of Christmas. This is what it's all about. I hope and pray that today you will celebrate these things and keep them in remembrance. Well, thanks again for tuning in to this short episode. I really appreciate, once again, you taking time, including some of you on your holiday to listen to this Church Father Christmas medley. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. Grace and peace to you.